In a way that haughty offshore operators tend to do, the latest pronouncement on the New Zealand housing market comes from the Financial Times, no less, who suggests the current New Zealand housing market is a warning to the world. They call us a canary in the coal mine after prices rose 43% in the two years following the pandemic. Uh, they're also warning other OECD nations to take heed of our fast rises and quick falls, which could lead to extra economic pain. Now, Brad Olson is Infometrics Principal Economist, of course, and is back with us. Brad, morning to you. Good morning. They got a point or are they looking for a headline? Oh, I think, you know, it's worthwhile to look at the New Zealand experience. But realistically, uh, you know, what's driving uh, New Zealand house prices at the moment is going to be what's going to drive other parts of the world as well, and that's interest rates. New Zealand is not alone in needing to raise interest rates to get inflation under control. But let's also be clear, New Zealand's house prices moved a lot quicker uh, to a much higher degree than most other parts of the world. It meant that we outstripped just about everyone when it came to, you know, your price-to-income affordability ratio. So, yes, we might be a bit of a canary in the coal mine, but, uh, you know, if you're wanting to apply the New Zealand experience to other parts of the world, well, that's uh, not going to be an absolute apples-for-apples apples comparison. Exactly, because what they've never understood in my summation is they've never understood our, call it whatever you want, our obsession with housing, our love of housing, our, our desire to own a house that doesn't exist in certain parts of the world, does it? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you quoted just before that New Zealand's house prices have risen or or rose 43% uh, over sort of that pandemic period. They didn't rise 43% in other parts of the world. So unless, you know, you're you're willing to sort of uh, temper your numbers a bit, depending on what part of the world you want to apply the New Zealand experience to, Mm. they're not going to fully match up. Uh, Important, though, that, you know, New Zealand house prices so far down 10% odd from peak. So it does give a bit of a leading indication of how important interest rates are to where house prices move. Uh, But realistically, again, the the focus that New Zealand has on property, the way our taxes are structured, the way that, you know, New Zealanders invest a lot more in property than we ever do in the stock market, uh, you know, it it, it says we need to be a little bit careful. Put it this way, when we look at sort of how the, the likes of the Dow Jones and similar move in the U.S. and how that affects the U.S. economy, we don't immediately go, well, that's definitely going to happen to the NZX50 today. Exactly. Um, so we do have to be a little bit more careful about making those comparisons. But it's fair to say that if interest rates go up uh, and continue to rise at the pace they're going to, then yes, New Zealand's experience gives an indication of the direction and magnitude. But um, putting absolute firm numbers around it, I think that's a, a pretty... Uh, drastic sort of option for international players to be looking at the New Zealand market and saying that's going to be us in in a few months' time. The money for lending programme, I think, was a mistake, wasn't it, to the extent that he didn't put any restrictions on it? Because I remember talking to Adrian Orr at the time and going, if you're going to give these banks all this money, you know where it's going. It's going on housing. He said, that's not my problem. Was that a mistake? Oh, I I think the difficulty at the time as well, and and I remember, uh, you know, the conversations that the bank... Uh, was having out with, with players and commentators in the space was that difficulty. If you put too many sort of limitations and similar around some of those supports, then it actually becomes too administrative, uh, administratively difficult, which is the same reason that, you know, we didn't put all the, that many uh, caveats around the likes of the wage subsidy. So at the time, the focus was get it out quickly and sort of, um, you know, there's a second round effect of, of how worried you might be of where the money goes. But your first bit of business was just getting out the door. Again, in hindsight, I think we've got to recognise that we overcooked the stimulus. And, and yep. as time went on, you, you know, again, I think we can very much justify how we uh, changed the official cash rate and similar. By the time you got to the funding for lending programme and what have you, you do get the feeling that we already knew we were sort of towards the end of needing to do stuff. So to whack in a whole lot more 
Uh, you, you do, I, again, I think we've got to look back and say, look, if we were to encounter this again, if COVID 2.0 appeared tomorrow, would we react the same way? I'd like to think we wouldn't. Good on you, mate. Always a pleasure. Appreciate it. And have a good weekend. Brad Olson, Infometrics Principal Economist. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.